Hello, good evening. Welcome to Lake Road Chapel. And we are coming towards the end of the book of James. We're in chapter 4. We're looking at verses 11 to 17 this evening. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of James. And toward the end of the New Testament, we'll read these six verses together. I'll just give you a moment to find them in your Bible. James 4 verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? Come on now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And may the Lord bless that reading of his holy and inerrant word. In James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, if you remember, it's been kind of like a theme that we've gone back to time and time again, where we're given that three-point key to some of the topics that James addresses from thence on in the book. He deals, deals with the issue of worldliness. He speaks about our speech and about our care for those in need. Hallmarks, characteristics of what it of a, of a Christian, if you like, Christian DNA. And we are bombarded, aren't we, with worldliness, with temptation to worldliness on every side, from within, from without, from all sides of our world and our culture. Our own hearts are infected with worldly desires. In our passage today, these six verses, James points to two indications of speech where there is a worldly self-centeredness, if you like, or a worldly lack of humility in us. The first of which is believers, Christians, those who walk in the way, are not to slander, to defame or denigrate a Christian brother or a Christian brother or sister. If you look at verses 11 and 12 James is addressing the issue of speech that is destructive of our brethren or of our neighbour and James sees that kind of speech that tears down a fellow believer or tears down a neighbour to be a mark of both worldliness and a lack of humility and his point of course is that believers are not to slander or defame or cast down a Christian brother in speech. And when we hear verses 11 and 12, of course, behind them, we do hear the Lord Jesus's words from Matthew 12, sorry, from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge lest ye be judged. And we need to pause here before we give a positive exposition of the passage, just to say what the passage doesn't mean. Because the phrase of Jesus and the statement of James 
have often been applied wrongly when James says that we're not to well, not to speak against one another. It is not meant that believers are not to exercise discretion or judgment about the things that they hear other people saying. It does not mean that we're not to evaluate a person or a person's actions biblically. Nor does it mean that we're never to say anything negative. I think the key is constructive, of course, negative about another person. Because if he had meant those three things, James had already violated those things in his book. He's had hard things to say about people who profess to have faith but do not demonstrate it in their life. Even in our passage in the second half of verse 11, James passes judgment on those who judge. James himself is willing to exercise, I would say, godly, biblical discernment, discretion, and make evaluations. So what does James mean when he says, do not speak evil against one another? The point is speech that tears down a fellow believer or neighbour. Speech that is designed to wound. Backbiting, which is a great translation which William Tyndale gave us many years ago. Speech that is often not in the presence of a fellow believer, which is designed to wound, to tear down, to cast down, to, you know, to bring them down a peg or two often building ourselves up at others' expense. How do we check that kind of speech? Because I believe that we all are tempted by that. Even Isaiah prayed, I am a man of unclean lips. Well, on this first point, I think James offers five hints in verses 11 and 12. The first of the five hints is remember about whom you're speaking. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And then in the next phrase, twice, he uses the word brother. And at the end of verse 12, he speaks about neighbours. Brethren should not be hurting brethren and neighbours. We should be cultivating close, friendly, encouraging and mutually helpful relationships in our speech. When you're getting ready to you know, bite or to tear somebody down, Will you just not remember about whom you're speaking? It is a brother. It is a sister. It is a neighbour. The second of the five hints is remember against what you're speaking. James is speaking to people who have, who have a high view of God's word. They had a high view of God's law and they wanted to obey the law of God. And when you speak against the brethren, you're speaking against God's law. You're speaking against God's law. It's just not your, it's not, not only your brother's reputation or your sister's reputation that you are smacking in the face. It is God's law that you're breaking. He who speaks against the brethren or judges the brethren speaks against the law and judges or condemns the law. When you speak against a brother, a neighbour, you're condemning the law. The third hint, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Remember what you're contradicting or deeming deficient when you speak against a fellow brother or sister. 
You're gonna, you, know, you may say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, even though God's law tells me not to. How many times do we find ourselves doing that? What you're saying is God's law is wrong. You're putting yourself above God's law and becoming a judge of God's law. Remember who you are contradicting and deeming deficient. But just you know, imagine maybe a defendant in a court that has been accused of a serious crime standing up and claiming to be above the law. When you decide to go right on ahead and hurt the brethren with cutting words of favouritism or building somebody up and deliberately ignoring somebody else, you are pronouncing that you are more important than God's law. You're putting yourself up as God, who is the judge and the lawgiver. The fourth hint is, verse 12 says, that we need to remember who we're claiming to be and who we're claiming to displace. Kind of comes from the third hint, doesn't it? There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. So God himself is our judge. And when we set ourselves up in his place by tearing down and condemning one another, we're claiming to take his place. Which brings me to the fifth hint. Verse 12 says, remember who you are. Who are you to judge your neighbour? Humility is the prime Christian grace. Your words can reveal a self-focus, a self-centred pride and a lack of humility, which is worldliness. And that's exactly what is the diagnosis here in verses 11 and 12. That destructive speech is a sign of self-centredness, self-focused, unhumble worldliness. We often think about worldliness as being, you know, you know, the kids, you know, the young, the young people who are struggling with worldliness in their teens. That's how often we apply the word worldliness. And that is true. But it also means destructive speech against the brethren in our hearts. And when we see that kind of speech, speech just trace it back to its origin, the heart. And you see that you need need God's grace to change you in that area. The second point is, this is my second point, believers, Christians, followers of the way are, are not to think and speak presumptuously. And verses 13 to 17 now show us that it's not just destructive speech that shows self-centred, self-focused worldliness, which is completely lacking in humility. It is presumption in speech. Presumption in attitude and speech is a mark of worldliness and a lack of humility. Verses 13 to 17 belong together. If you notice the opening words of verse 17, it begins with so. So, James is drawing a deduction, at least, from verses 13 to 16 in verse 17. He may even be going further back. So that's why he uses the word so, or many times therefore. It's that, and I'm going to separate them from our, for our consideration in order to bring out a point that James makes. In verses 13 to 16, James is pointing at presumption in our speech. And he's saying just as destructive speech about brothers and sisters and our neighbours shows worldliness, so does presumption in speech. Believers are not to speak or think presumptuously. We're always to live mindful of God's providence. 
And James says that presumption in speech actually betrays a worldliness in heart. And he uses a business illustration to make his point, which is important for us. We live in a day of Zoom conferences, of schedules and you know online calendars and everyone's online on caffeine. The very mindset of the world around us encourage us to be presumptuous in our approach to life and even to planning. And James is not assaulting planning. James is not saying don't plan. James is not saying don't be good stewards of the resources that God has given you. He is definitely not saying don't budget. He's not saying any of that, but he's talking about a worldliness that can invade our thinking, can manifest itself in our speech if we're not careful. The worldly mindset can take us over, can influence Christians without our even realising it. And James points out a few things in verse 13 that show a worldly presumption and a lack of humility. In verse 13, he speaks about a presumption of time, presuming time. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, our times are in his hands. We can't say today or tomorrow. Isn't that really real today, isn't it? With this, you know, the shock, if you like, of lockdown. And now, will we ever get out of it? Our times are in God's hands. He speaks about a presumption about place. We go into such and such an, a town. Well, that's, an, that, that's something we can't do. We can't just pop from town to town like we used to. And you can see the businessman doing the demographics and saying a coffee shop will work there, a bank will work there, an outdoors shop will work in the high street in Keswick. They need this or they need that. The demographics have been done for such and such a place. A favourable situation doesn't ensure success. And spend a year there. We can think to ourselves, we have all the time in the world, but how much time does the world have? Coronavirus. We can't assume a day is going to follow another day. But we fall into a worldly mindset. James indicates, indicates a presumption against the programme of effort that these people are going to engage in and trade and he speaks about presumption of the results and make a profit god doesn't factor at all and that's james's point james isn't talking to pagans he's talking to believers who are not factoring god into the very fabric of their lives god is isolated on a sunday morning for an hour or so but in the business of life he doesn't factor there's no mention of god there's no mention of his providence there's no indication of prayer. There's no humility about what might or might not happen tomorrow. And James is indicating that, per that a person who is not factoring a very, the, the important factor into life, God. That's what James is indicating. Verse 14 and 15 give the antidote to this. So instead of speaking or thinking presumptuously, like we've just seen, we need to remember four hints. In my four hints of the second point. The first hint is in verse 14. We need to remember we're, we are ignorant of the future, aren't we? We do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't even know what's going to happen next week. And that's been brought into sharp contrast with the coronavirus pandemic. We may work hard, but we don't know the future. That's James's first word to us in showing that we need wisdom, humility, 
Second hint is we are finite. Our days are numbered, but you are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our days are numbered. And our third hint, in verse 15, James says we are utterly dependent on God. Those lovely words, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is not just saying that we need to say Lord willing or if God wills or God willing, DV, and that will somehow create a spiritual mindset. But he is saying that that, you know, that needs to be our attitude of heart, if the Lord wills, and reflected in our speech to show that we are humbly dependent on the Lord God rather than worldly, self-centred, self-focused, lacking humility self. It's all about him, not about us. The fourth hint in verse 16 this you know humility we're ignorant of the future we're finite our days are numbered we're dependent on god and we ought to be humble as as it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil when you plan without factoring these truths without factoring in god you're being arrogant and when you're being arrogant you're boasting and when you're boasting you're in it james is taking the act of thinking and planning without adequately being dependent upon god and prayer humble before God and James is saying that is the sin of arrogance and boasting and boasting is evil believers are not to think and speak presumptuously now one reaction we might have is that everybody I know struggles with this everybody I know from time to time says things about brothers and sisters in Christ that they should not say they say things about neighbours they shouldn't say and it's from time to time not adequately humble in factoring the plans of God and the will of God into their plan. Then aren't we, you making a bit much of this? And James's response is no, not at all. James says the way that we function in this area is an excellent indication of whether we are spiritually minded or worldly minded. Third point, believers are to bear in mind how sinful it is to fail to do what God commands. Did you see that in verse 17? Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Yes, you can say everyone struggles with these things. From time to time, everyone says things about other people they shouldn't. From time to time, everyone doesn't factor in God into their presumptions. Some of the best people I know commit these sins. It shouldn't be such big a deal. And James' response is, in verse 17, On the contrary, knowing what we ought to do and failing to do it, is one of the best indicators of worldliness. Because our failing to do it is not a matter of ignorance, but of disobedience, lazy disobedience and a lack of humility. James is saying in verse 17 that sins of omission are sins of worldliness and a lack of humility. Believers are to bear in mind how sinful it is to fail to do what God commands. God has commanded that we shouldn't be presumptuous in our speech and thinking. God has commanded we shouldn't be destructive in our speech and our thinking about brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And when we fail to do that, it is a mark of worldliness, a need for repentance and forgiveness and grace. The last words of Archbishop Usher before he was burned at the stake, just before the Lord ushered him into eternity. Archbishop Usher prayed, Lord, forgive my sins, especially my sins of omission. But this is another reminder, my friends, of why we need the grace of Christ. 
Because so often we think of our sins as those things that we have done that contradict God's law, the things that we have done that go against God's word, the laws of God that we have broken, the things that we have done, the things that we should not have done. But if we only think of sin in those categories, it is possible to think that we're fairly good people. But when we think the sins of omission, the things that God does call us to do, but we don't, then we see another aspect of our hearts. If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus, if you haven't repented of your sin and fled to him for grace, you're struggling with sins of omission as well as sins of commission. You need the grace of Christ to trace to change you because you can't change yourself. So see Jesus dying on a tree in your place, living in your room, actively and passively obeying so that you might fulfill the law of God and you might be declared righteous, not because of your fulfilling the law of God, but because of his fulfilling of it. And for those who are believers and listening this evening, maybe even thinking about these things is convicting. There are areas that you're struggling in and you recognise that some of the things that you've just given a pass in your heart are worldliness. You can't sanctify yourself. No, the Holy Spirit by grace sanctifies us. So come again to Jesus, who not only died that you might be declared holy, but died that you might become more and more and more like him in your speech. May the Lord bless the word, but may the Lord grant that in our speech to one another as believers, we show a heart of humility, of other-centeredness, rather than the worldly heart of self centeredness may god bless you wherever you are this evening and let us continue to pray on for one another and pray that it wouldn't be long before we're able to gather together as the lord's people amen <laughs>